Hello, hello. Get ready for a journey through time with the Historians podcast, hosted by myself, Derek Mulligan, and my co-historian, Neil Federson-Hall. We invite you into our virtual living room for weekly fireside chats with world-renowned historians and authors. From ancient history to present day, the Historians covers it all with guests who have lived and experienced the stories they share. Join myself and Neil as we whiz back and forth through time, exploring the truth behind historical events that turn out to be way stranger and more exciting than fiction. So grab a cuppa and get ready to be transported to another time and place. Tune in now to join our history-loving community. Here we go. Good evening, Neil. And good evening, listeners. Another episode of The Historians. How are you tonight? Freezing. Yeah, isn't it? It's like it hasn't got up above minus two down here, leeching for the last couple of days. And uh, the the water in the air is freezing on the spot. So uh, yeah, I could do with a nice fire. Which uh, well, we got a we got a range going in the kitchen. Okay. Right? We've kept that stoked for the last couple of days. So. But that's what you get uh, from moving down the country and moving out of the big smoke. Is, yeah. There, you see this this is what happens when you try to you know escape the urban environment. We're all toasty up here yeah. in Dublin with at least zero. If not, yeah. Well, that's the thing. I don't think, but as well, like we've no roads you can drive down here. That's the thing. Everything gets yeah. iced over very, very quickly. So, well, uh, thank God for the internet, or we wouldn't be making this yeah. happening. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, and to 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 bring in our guest, who's who's a little bit further afield um, than Leitrim, stateside, stateside. Yeah. Yes, indeed, we have a, a gentleman by the name of Mister Katz. Quite. Jonathan M. Katz, foreign Jonathan correspondent. M. Katz, foreign, foreign correspondent. And why are we talking to Jonathan tonight, Derek? We are talking about a book uh, about a particular character called Smedley Butler, who Ooh. is used to express a view about America and its colonial grabbing. And the book is called Gangsters of Capitalism. And really, it's a subject. I, I, I like this. I, I like yeah. the way it grabs hold of a hero. Yeah. And how that hero's view of his own country transformed over the, the time that he served. Uh, as, as both a, a Marine and also during Prohibition, he was a, a police officer for, for a time. And this guy won two Medals of Honor. Like, he is highly decorated. Yeah, so there's lots to talk about. I mean, there's even, you know, a fascist uh, takeover plot of uh, the US. So we could really got it going on here. So we'll, we'll, let, uh, we'll introduce Jonathan and let him tell us well, a little let bit him, more. About let him tell the story, indeed. Absolutely. Yeah. Jonathan, welcome to the Hip Historians. It's good to have you on board, man. Hey, it's good to meet you guys. Yeah. So where are you joining us from? A little bit further away than Leitrim. Yes, I am. I'm a foreign corresponding from exotic Charlottesville, Virginia at the moment. Oh, what's the temperatures like? We're all we're all we're Irish. We're just fascinated by weather at the moment. We're completely up to our necks. And it's cold today. It's it's it's. Uh, uh, you'll have to forgive me. I only know Fahrenheit. It's it's right. it's, it's in the thirties. Thirties. That's that's about the same as us. Yeah, we're we're oh, really? we'd be about twenty degrees Fahrenheit. Okay, there you go. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, that's so very, us. very, di- very different from from thirty Celsius. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very different. We we know we can relate to thirty Celsius. It happens here about yeah. one day every year, and and yeah. the place goes nuts. You know. Yeah. yeah so yeah, it. let's let's kick this off. What are we talking about here? A marine yeah. Subject of this book. Let's get right into it, Jonathan. What's the story, as we say in Ireland? 
Yes. Yeah, so, um, was that that's a that's a proprietary expression over there? I didn't, uh, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, we ask everybody. Uh, so, um, <laughs> I guess we engage in a bit of cultural appropriation. On that there point. you go. Um, yeah. It is a story. It's a story about American Empire. Um, it's a story. The, so, the, the the main character, um, and I, I I really prefer the way you guys said it's Medley Butler. It sounds a lot. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, he sounds Irish. Well, I I think his family came from 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 the other island over there, right, right, right across. Uh, okay, okay, yeah. cool. No problem with that. Way back, way back. He was yeah. a Quaker. Um, uh, he uh, was from an old uh, Philadelphia family. Um, they had come over from uh, England, uh, basically around the time of William Penn. Um, and despite his Quaker upbringing, um, he got very excited about war. Um, and joined the Marines uh, in 1898. He was 16 years old. He lied about his age um, to fight the Spanish um, in Cuba in what is generally known in American high schools as the Spanish-American War. Historians prefer the Spanish-Cuban-American War or the Spanish-Cuban-Filipino-American War. And he ended up fighting in the Philippines as well. And 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 from there... Sorry, just to jump a little bit, I know, is this Roosevelt territory? Is this... Yeah, is that era? So okay, Roosevelt, cool. so, so so Roosevelt p- plays a major role uh, in in this narrative. Um, uh, you know, Teddy Roosevelt is Assistant Secretary of the Navy uh, at the beginning of of the Spanish War, which sounds like kind of a lowly position, um, but was very influential, and he he really played a major personal role in causing that war to happen. Um, a much bigger role than even you know William McKinley, who was President of the United States at the time. And then, of course, then. Roosevelt becomes president um, in uh, well, in, in, in the course of my book, in, in uh, one of the chapters in the Philippines, um, and then plays a major role, of course, in, in uh, the conquest of the Philippines, in um, you know, American imperialism in general, in the severing of Panama from Colombia, which Smedley Butler and the Marines participate in. I mean, basically, Butler participates in every you know, overseas war, occupation, invasion that the United States. Uh, engages in from 1898 until the early 1930s, late 1920s, um, and then uh, becomes in his retirement an anti-war, anti-imperialist activist. Super. Yeah, and what and what and what he get, like, so what he's observing was he's doing all this. He, he's putting things together, and he's starting to see the influence of the likes of J.P. Morgan and the industrialists, and how they're actually coordinating essentially with the U.S. government to go out on these land grabs to places like Guam and, and Haiti uh, and, and make, make take them for themselves. And it to me, you know, this is the kind of thing, like this is what happens, empires, in my estimation. The same could be said of what happened to Dutch East India's uh, company and mm-hmm. uh, the British East India Company. You know, eventually they all became the state when the state saw the riches to be gained. Yeah. Um, and they were all in cahoots, essentially, right? Yeah. And the French East India Company, although that one ended up going the other direction because it ended up scandalizing everybody that it kind of sparked the French Revolution. But yeah, no, that that's that's very much it. I mean, it's it is this these imbrications between you know capital and empire um, are everywhere, and they're not they're not. That's a really good point. I mean, it's not particular to the United States to a great extent. This is how empires, especially Western empires, you know, European and American empires work it it ends up being sort of a push and pull it, you've got private interests who are like well it would be great if we could get over there and we could get our fingers in this pie and then you have the government that's like well it would be really great if we could get over there and then we can you know use this for 
um, uh, you know, military control. We can use this to, you know, for, for security purposes. Um, one of the one of the 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 more, I guess, more minor figures. He's, he's sort of a, a major figure in in, in my research is Alfred Fair uh, Mahan. Um, who I believe his family actually was from Ireland back way. Uh, he is a naval theorist. Um, he's a, a Navy captain, uh, actually one of the worst captains in the history of the U.S. Navy. He, 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 uh, he, he crashed or ran aground, I think, every ship that he commanded pretty much. Um, but then he, he uh, left the sea and, and, and went on land, uh, probably to the, to the, to the great uh, joy of, of the crews that he would have otherwise been commanding yeah. and became... Um, one of the, the leading, not just naval, but military theorists of the late 19th, early 20th century. And the, and, and Mahan's vision was um, to basically, it, it was, he, he, he started with, a, with an analysis of actually the, the, the French Revolutionary period. He started with an analysis and basically was like, well, you know, the Brit, it's it a pretty easy conclusion to come to, but the, the reason why the British ended up beating the French um, you know, in, in the Napoleonic Wars was because the British controlled the seas and the French controlled the land. Thus, I, Alfred Thamahan, naval captain, think that ships are better than, than land armies. And this was a very, very, I mean, it seems like a very simple thesis, but it was very, very influential at the time. Everybody was reading this thing. The Kaiser was reading it, you know, Imperial Japan, the, the Emperor of Japan was reading it, the Meiji Emperor. Everybody, anybody who was anybody who wanted to have an empire and basically was like, how did the British do this? How have the British conquered the world? And how can I get in on this? Um, they were like, okay, well, according to this book, we should build a giant navy. And Mahan's thesis, and specifically for the United States, his country, was that basically the United States would build up a large and modern navy, and it would uh, use that navy to control the sea lanes, and that those sea lanes would be operable for both naval ships and merchant ships. And this would then you know, bring sort of American commerce into this you know, overseas expansionary project, which, you know, they were already into, they were already trying to, 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 to get involved in even before this. Um, and in all the other piece of it, that, that's very important in terms of, of understanding like Mahan and, and his influential role in creating this, this empire that Smedley Butler and his generation of Marines basically go around um, conquering. Um, you know, I, I think I say in the book, you know, I'm not sure exactly the words that I use, but essentially, you know, they, they basically spent their career just sort of laying you know trying to to embody you know Mahan's vision and Teddy Roosevelt was a huge Alfred Thayer Mahan fan they had a they had a big correspondence he he you know gave glowing reviews to his books in order to make this work they needed land bases they needed basically you know coaling stations um you know places to repair the ships um and you know especially because of of the limited you know uh, fuel distance that you could get in a ship in, in that time um you know you needed especially in the pacific you needed sort of a, a, a chain of islands to get all the way to china which was you know the imperialist real goal and you also needed a, a inter uh, you know a, a transistian canal in in central america which is what the americans ended up doing they took over from the french but they, but but uh, they they ended up uh, creating the republic of panama to build the panama canal to basically connect those oceans and create this huge chain of control that would go all over the world and the reason i'm i'm bringing this up here is because this is a place where we very clearly see you know you've got you know people who just have you know widgets um uh, in 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 one case um 
cigarettes. Um, the uh, uh, James Buchanan Duke, uh, whose family ends up uh, endowing Duke University, he he owns a, a company that he calls the British American Tobacco Company. It actually was just basically an American company. He just thought it would sound cooler, I think, if he, if he emphasized sort of like a, a, some, some very minor British ownership. But but uh, the British American Tobacco Company, th- there's a story um, that uh, James Buchanan Duke um, uh, was he had this new basically cigarette rolling machine that could just mass produce cigarettes and he it's it's maybe an apocryphal story but it, it gets at something which was that he asked you know his assistant to bring him an atlas and he just thumbs through until he sees the largest population total that he can find and it's china and he's like that that's where we're gonna sell cigarettes and he, you know james buchanan duke and and you know that that's sort of that's a you know a university that's in north carolina that north carolina connection and, and, and that North Carolina-China commercial connection um, ends up being one of many, many connections that, that ends up, you know, pushing for the empire, uh, pushing for militarization, pushing for the control of these sea lanes um, and, 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 and rolls this all forward. And yeah, I mean, as you say, Smedley Butler, ha- he's on the ground and, and he sees this all happening in real time. And what trivia to, to Smedley. So, like, yeah. you know, obviously you, you come up with a thesis and said, okay, well, where am I going to start with all this? And, you know, you randomly did a Google search or just pulled Smedley, sounded cool. How would you, how would you find Smedley? It's got to be his so name. It's, it's got to yeah. be something to do with his name. With a name like that, you know, he, he, yeah. he, he's just going to jump out straight away, isn't he? Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, so actually, so the way that, so the way that I came into it, um, so I was the um, uh, Associated Press Bureau Chief in Haiti. Um, I was I was a foreign correspondent all over, um, and and a lot of my time was in in Latin America. But uh, the 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 uh, plurality of the time was in in Haiti, um, where I was posted from 2007 to 2011. So I was there during the the 2010 earthquake, and it was while I was writing my first book. Uh, which is called the big truck that went by um, how the world came to save Haiti and left behind a disaster. And I wrote a chapter in that book. That was a historical chapter to basically explain how, you know, things had gotten to such a place that a magnitude 7.0 earthquake, uh, which is a very serious earthquake. I can tell you because I was on the ground when that struck, um, but wouldn't necessarily become, you know, the deadliest earthquake ever recorded in the Western hemisphere. And one of the deadliest ever recorded in the world, which is what happened. Um, How, how you know integral uh, Haitian history and and uh, uh, the you know the, the the predations from both within and without Haiti um, uh, had been to, to to get things to to that kind of a, a fragile state, and you can't talk about the history of Haiti um, without talking about the U.S. occupation of Haiti, um, which is something that. Um, I don't know if anyone in Ireland knows about it. I can tell you for sure that no one, I mean, very, very few people in the United States know anything about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a, you know, I was a, a history and an American studies major in undergrad. Um, I, you know, I, I did a fair amount of study on, you know, really like ugly parts of American history, especially during the Cold War. Um, I had never heard of this basically until right. I, until I moved to Haiti, really. Um, that the United States had occupied Haiti, they'd be invaded Haiti in 1915, taken over the entire country as essentially a de facto colony, and then operated it for for 19 years. Um, and you can't talk about that occupation without talking about Smedley Butler. So I, you know, so in all the sources that I was reading for what ended up being basically a couple of paragraphs, 
Um, you know, Smedley Butler's name comes up over and over again. Smedley Butler is in the initial invasion force. He wins his second medal of honor, um, crushing an insurgency in Northern Haiti. He um, dissolves parliament. He helps dismantle the Haitian army. And, and he's the first commandant of uh, the uh, basically American client military force, the gendarmerie d'Haïti that, that, that is created to replace it. Um, he's everywhere in Haiti. And it was while I was sort of doing my, you know, initial research for that book, I was trying to figure out, you know, well, you know, I kind of do narrative journalism uh, or narrative uh, uh, nonfiction. I was like, well, you know, maybe this could be a character. Maybe, you know, I can just, you know, use him to sort of, you know, carry these couple of paragraphs forward. And I stuck his name into Google. And as you note, it is a unique name. Um, I actually have done a little bit of digging into where the smelly name comes from. We can talk about that if you guys want, but um, I, I came up with all these Google hits for all this other stuff about a fascist coup against Franklin Roosevelt, um, a book called War is a Racket. And, uh, and it was this very, you know, kind of lefty flamethrowing Smedley Butler, mm. um, who was, who was an, who was an adamant anti-imperial. And I was like, well, this can't be the same guy. Because Smedley Butler in Haiti is a, a villain. Um, people literally called him the devil. Um, and and he's still today by, you know, by, by by certainly, you know, Haitian scholars. Uh anyway, so so you know, this guy who's known as the devil uh mm. in Haiti, um, who is, you know, and 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 you know, if you look at his resume, you know. As as I ultimately end up doing, um, in quite some detail, he, uh, you know, he's he's everywhere. He's in Cuba. He's in the Philippines. He's in Honduras. He's in the Dominican Republic. He's in Haiti. He's in you know, Nicaragua. He's everywhere. Puerto Rico. How could this guy have ended up becoming? You know, first of all, I was like, this can't be the same guy. And then when I realized it was the same guy, I was like, well, how <laughs> how could this happen? Um, and so it was actually it was it was really through the character of Smedley Butler, um, and through you know. How do I put it? My life experience at that point and my journalistic experience had gotten to a point where questions of American empire and America's, uh, you know, malign influence in the world um, were, 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 you know, very uh, uh, prominent in my mind. Right. And also questions of historical memory. Like, why haven't I heard of this stuff? Like, why, why didn't I know that the, the United States occupied Haiti until I moved to Haiti? Why did I not know that the United States occupied the Dominican Republic until I moved to the Dominican Republic? Why did I not know, know, know that, you know, the United States invaded Mexico in 1914 um, until I just read it, you know, like, you know, really yeah. at this point, just still a, a couple of years ago, all of those things were sort of percolating in my mind. And then this question of like, well, why haven't I heard of this guy, Smedley Butler, and who was this guy and what made him tick and what made him go on this journey in the first place? And that one made him, you know, sort of change his mind. Those all, those, you know, in a lot of ways, those questions all sort of came together. And I was like, this is just too good not to spend, you know, a couple of years writing a book about it. All uh, right. And there's where your journalistic instincts kick in because you can see the story is just right there. It just needs to be told. Like you yeah. said, like nobody else knew this story. And maybe we're forgiven on this side of the pond, as it were, for not being as familiar with this story. But this is all news to me, Derek. Um, this, I saw, this, this is history written by the victors, though. This is what uh, I think. Yeah, you know? we, we, is, we it's, always... pro it's propaganda. Everything is about propaganda. Once you're winning that battle, you can say or do what you want. And uh, this, this has been true ever since uh, probably Samaria or before even. Who yeah. knows, you know, but... But, but you've mentioned the example before, Derek, of the British East India Company, which operated mm -hmm. effectively as a commercial entity under the guise 
you know, sorry, under the guise well, they, of the commercial they, entity they, when it was the British, the British government. Yeah, they took over. It was a group of private individuals, and uh, about a hundred years into it, they they, they nationalised the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. So this is this is the same dynamic that we're talking about, except on you know over 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 in your part of the world. As a yeah, word, yeah. You know? and, and well, even I mean, even the I mean, the United States, like all of the all of the colonial charters, pretty much with 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 one or two exceptions, those were private companies that got yeah. a charter from the Queen or the King. Um, I mean, the Boston Tea Party was they were literally they were literally dumping out tea from the British uh, East India Company um, that mm. that had been given a, a basically a monopoly position. King George had decided, like, well, you know, uh, you guys like tea, you'll have to buy this tea. And 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 the colonists in Boston were like, no, you know, screw you. Yeah. So so basically, um, yeah, surprise, so no right. surprise. It's about money. What we're talking yeah. about. Yeah. That's that's basically what it boils down to. It's not expansionist, you know, countries colonialism. It, well, it is just under a different form. But effectively, they're operating it as private private armies, private companies. There are. I mean, there there are there there are lots of different motivations in in in, in different parts. I mean, you, um, in in the China chapters, there's two chapters about China because Smedley Butler and the Americans uh, invade China twice, once in 1900 um, to to crush the the, the Boxer Rebellion um, and also the the Qing Dynasty, which had uh, which had allied with them, and um, and then uh, they're then again in in the 1920s during uh, the outbreak of of what becomes the, the Chinese Civil War. Um, you know, in, so I mean, just to use China as an example. You've got the commercial interests, so uh, you know, especially in in, in the in the nineteen aughts, um, you've got you know British American tobacco and 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 stuff. In in the nineteen twenties, Standard Oil is 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 playing a huge role. But you've also got religious uh, interest groups, um, uh, basically American, you know, uh, Protestants, uh, especially the Southern Methodists are the ones who 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 play a huge role in this. They look at China and they see um, in the same way that the capitalists saw the, the world's you know, largest potential consumer base. They saw it as the, the world's you know, potential largest repository of souls. Um, and they play a, a, an enormous role, um, a direct role, um, mm -hmm. without, without going to, down too many rabbit holes, because this book is just, as, as you guys know, an endless warren of interconnected <laughs> rabbit holes. Um, but the, the, you know, the, 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 the Republic of China um, which is founded in, in, in 1911, 1912 by Sun Yat-sen. Um, so Sun Yat-sen is a, a Christian uh, and he, his patron, uh, excuse me, his patron, <laughs> I'm on, I'm on a podcast. Yeah, <laughs> we know it, we know it. <laughs> um, his, his, he would have had a patron if he could have had one. Yeah, 100%. Um, Maybe he did. I'm sure. Sun Yat-sen actually would have been <laughs> That's an amazing podcaster. <laughs> Could have loved it, um, but his 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 patron was a guy named Charlie Sun, who um, who goes to America. He actually goes to Boston and ends up in in North Carolina and ends up under the wing of a prominent um, Southern Methodist who um, uh, uh, who's also a Klansman, by the way, um, <laughs> who 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 basically kind of you know raises him in his in his own image. Um, in in North Carolina, enrolls him um, at the future Duke University. Speaking of, of Duke and, and British American tobacco, um, and and then sends him back to China um, to basically start up a, a Bible business. He 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 prints Bibles translated into ch classical Chinese and makes a fortune doing this. Um, and then uh, you know he's he's very influenced by you know his his upbringing in the United States. And he meets Sun Yat-sen and Sun Yat-sen is also, 
he's you know a Christian and he's also somebody who's you know become very well versed in American history. He, he looks up to George Washington, he looks up to Abraham Lincoln, and he talks to Charlie Soong and, and he's like, you know, how can we how can we do this in China? How can we make this into a, an American style republic? Um, and Soong is like, well, I think you're the guy. Like, I think you will be the George Washington of of the Republic of China. I'm going to go back to North Carolina and go to my clansmen friends in in the Southern Methodist uh, congregations in in in, uh, in 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 the what is now known as the Research Triangle in in, in Durham, North Carolina, basically, and and get a bunch of money. Um, and so, you know, and, and the reason why the Methodists are giving money, I mean, some of them have commercial interests, you know, some of them, you know, uh, you know, as, as today, um, you've got plenty of, of, you know, uh, believing Christians who, 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 who also believe very deeply in, in, in the expansion of their own bank accounts. Um, but they see these things as sort of, you know, conveniently, they see them as, as, you know, do- reverse dovetailing in, in, in the same direction that basically, we will come, we will, we will civilize the natives, we will teach them Christianity, we will teach them democracy, and we'll teach them to buy our stuff. And all of those things are going to all go together. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah, I, I guess we're going to have to basically send the military in um, to, 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 to crash, you know, crack a couple skulls and, and, and burn a, a couple villages down in order to make that happen. Um, but in the end, it is for, you know, it is for God and it is for, you know, the Constitution. Um, and that th- th- those competing influences are, are, you know, a lot of them are still with us right here. Of course today. They're, yeah, we see them today. Yeah. You know, I mean, how well received was was this? I mean, this falls under, I suppose, revisionist history. And I suppose, you know, revisionist means the truth <laughs> more so than anything else, uh, not the propaganda version. And um, is it was the book well received by, you know, many or, or do you fall into casualty of going, oh, you know, I, I, I don't like this. This is all hogwash. It's so first, I mean, broadly, it has been very well received. You know, I got, you know, some 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 wonderful reviews um, in, in some prominent places. Um, I, I, one of, one of my personal badges of honor is that, uh, gangsters, uh, was, was well-reviewed both by Jacobin and the Federalist. Um, and, uh, I actually just did a, a, a an interview with, uh, the, the world socialist website. Um, so even the trots like it, right. um, but, uh, the, the Federalist, the Federalist gave me sort of my ideal review, uh, that I could have gotten from them. Um, I don't know if your, your listeners will be familiar, but the Federalist is a, it's, it's a very right-wing sort of sort of standard right wing um blog but you know c- kind of you know fash curious but it's it's not like a it's it's it it it, it is it it, it 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 travels in in company that that you know uh, uh despite itself is, is considered uh, respectable by people who themselves maybe are really not um but but hold positions of, of, of power and, and influence in the united states um they they were basically like you know, they, they they sort of liked the um, the kind of more libertarian parts. Smedley Butler himself is is a a um, a beloved figure by some people on the right, um, especially kind of the libertarian right, the Ron Paul right. If if, if that name makes any sense to you guys, he, he yeah they love they love his whistleblowing of of the fascist coup against uh, Franklin Roosevelt um, because it, it's it 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 kind of you know tickles their their conspira- conspiracy theory bone. There's a uh, a tendency on the right um, in America right now um, to sort of cosplay kind of a little bit of anti-capitalism. This is maybe a longer discussion than we want to get into here, but but 
you have you have a lot of you know major corporations in the United States that are following their consumer bases. They're they're, they're following their customers to you know some more kind of anti-racist positions, you know, anti-LGBTQ, anti-anti-LGBTQ positions, right? So they're, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're like, you know, come to Target and, and, and buy stuff for your same-sex marriage, right? Because, you know, they, that's, that's money, right? Mm. Um, you know, as, 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 uh, uh, you know, as Michael Jordan once said, you know, decades ago, you know, Republicans buy shoes too. And then basically these corporations are like, well, you know, LGBT people buy shoes and, and black people buy shoes and they will, they will only want to, you know, and so what, what part of what's happened is that, um, you'll, you'll hear the American right, um, sort of do this kind of fake anti-capitalism where they talk about woke capitalism and they're like, Oh, you know, these companies, they're part of, you know, some kind of global Marxist conspiracy. It makes no sense, but, but, but they talk that way um, because, because so many of these, you know, major corporations have, have are, are, they're not really leaning to, toward, you know, even the center left. It's just that, like, that's kind of the only space that hasn't gone completely just batshit um for for them to to to, to you know they, they still donate to both parties they, they, you know don't 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 get that twisted yeah. um but but so so the reason I'm, I'm bringing that up is because you know to a certain extent also you know the iraq war you know 20 years ago um i actually i i very early on in my journalism career, I, I covered uh, the Pentagon at the beginning of the Iraq war when I was essentially a grad student in, in journalism school. Um, and then I was in the Middle East in, in, in Israel and Palestine also during, during that war. Um, you know, if you had told me back then that the Republican party, um, you know, starting basically in 2016 and, and, and going on um, would, would, would not only say that the, that the Iraq war was a mistake, um, not, not only say that the, the Iraq war was a crime, um, but, but then try to blame it on the Democrats. Right. I mean, that, that, that was sort of Trump's move in, in 2016 was basically like, you know, well, yeah, the, the Iraq war was terrible and it was the Bush's fault and the Bushes and the Clintons are the same. And basically the Bushes are Democrats. Like not, that would have, that's, that scrambles my brain as like, mm. like somebody in my early forties, but it's kind of normal American politics today. So all of that is to say that there is an appetite for some on even the right to read about the bad things that America has done, you know, through a kind of you know, fake anti-capitalist, fake anti-imperialist, isolationist standpoint. And so the, the, the you know, the book even landed with, with, with people like that. Beyond that, I mean, I do think that there was a, I do think that there is a, a level of, of um, broader, uh, you know, mainstream um, acceptance uh, or, or even like an understanding of like what to do with this book that I wasn't able to crack. And I think part of that is because, this is a you know it's it's a weird story for a lot of Americans, even Americans who have sort of learned to be a little bit critical of of you know American foreign policy. You know, it's no one no one on the American side really ends up coming out looking like particularly good in this book. Um, and and you know I spent a lot of time in it, and and it was very important to me to talk about the historical memory of the peoples that we colonized. Um, and 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 to draw on their history and to draw on on their stories and their songs and their popular culture um, and and the things that they, and and their their scholarship that came out of of, of these eras and and, and look back on them um, and so you know yeah people 
there's a level of 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 the literary stratosphere that that uh, I think missed this book because they just they just don't know what to do with it. Fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. Yeah. And we, yeah. we, we, we must we must mention. Um, uh, I suppose because Trump, of course, has uh, got me thinking about it. The the fascist plot, the takeover mm-hmm. coup, nineteen thirties, time Mussolini. Not you know you could say somewhat similar to to January sixth, or you can see where 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 it comes from. And yep. but Smedley becomes the whistleblower, and he was uh, he was charged with being the the the, the ringleader. Well, yeah, exactly. He wants him to take over and and uh, be president, right? Well, sort of, yeah. So, so in so just very briefly, in, in 1933, 1934, Butler gets courted by a guy who represents himself first as a member of the American Legion, the veterans organization, uh, the, the the very much right right leaning uh, veterans organization, uh, and uh, is also an employee of a prominent Wall Street financial institution, a bond salesman, actually, um, to it, it starts off with just sort of like, you know, give some speeches denouncing the the recently inaugurated Franklin Delano Roosevelt and, and the New Deal. Um, but then it very quickly becomes in, in late 1934, um, as you say, a fascist coup. Um, the idea is that Butler is to lead half a million armed World War One veterans um, into Washington, D.C., armed with rifles from the Remington Arms Company, which a controlling interest of, had just been bought by, by the DuPont Corporation, uh, to basically intimidate Franklin Roosevelt um, into either uh, delegating all of his effective powers to a cabinet secretary, who the coup plotters would name, or resign entirely. Um, and as you note, uh, they, they, they um, in part on Mussolini's March on Rome, um, which uh, 1922, right? So that was ju- that was that's exactly a uh, uh, hundred years ago, basically yeah. this this year, and also the the uh, what's known in France as Six Février, uh, uh, basically February 6, 1934. Um, there was an anti-parliamentary riot of anti-fascist and excuse me, <laughs> of fascist uh, and and sort of you know right-wing uh, veterans organizations um, that rushed the Palais Bourbon, the the, the seat of the French legislature. Uh, to, powered by an anti-Semitic conspiracy theory to prevent um, the transfer of power from uh, to essentially a center-left government. Um, and, and that that raid failed, like they didn't even reach the, 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 uh, the building, um, but it, it scared the hell out of everybody in French politics. And, and actually that, that center-left government didn't take power um, and, a, and a conservative government took power in its place. And this bond salesman you know, says to, to Smedley Butler, that is the organization that that we're going to have, um, and Butler, as as you say, um, ended up uh, not going along with it, and in fact, blowing the whistle on it. He he testified about it in, in front of Congress, um, and much to um, Butler's and a lot of other people's to this day's dismay, um, no one was held responsible um, for for any of this. Um, there was no further investigation into uh, the ringleaders, which um, there's there's good reason to believe in, included. Um, yeah, uh, Irene Dupont of, of of the Dupont Company, uh, Alfred P. Sloan of General Motors, uh, the heads of you know Philips Oil, Sun Oil, uh, the McCann Erickson ad agency, uh, General Foods, all of these guys. You know w- what it really comes down to. I mean, and this is a you know a a, a thing that um, uh, you know people who pay attention to history, people who pay attention to history with a certain amount of class analysis, let's say, um, tend to. Uh, land on quite often um, is that, you know, capitalists, especially really rich guys, um, you know, nine times out of 10, if they feel that their choice is between some sort of social democracy, not even socialism, they thought the New Deal 
socialism. But it's just, it was just, it was just helping people. It was just the government was like, we're in the Great Depression. We're just going to help people. Faced with the choice between that and fascism as they see it, they will go with fascism basically every time. We're we're seeing that happen again. And and as I as I you know brought up earlier um, during my my digression into into you know sort of Ron DeSantis's you know theories of, of woke capitalism, it's the same thing. They're, 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 you know today people are um, in fact just yesterday. A friend of mine, Hunter Walker, um, who's a reporter, um, he uh, 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 unearthed a whole bunch of text messages that were shared uh, between Republican uh, congressmen uh, in the lead up to January 6th, um, which which very much reminds anybody who looks at it. I mean, it's impossible to, to miss the similarities between that and the ceasefire in, in France and, and thus the, the, the model for the business plot. Um, you know, they, they were saying explicitly, they were saying, you know, we can't have Joe Biden take power because it will be a marxist dictatorship because in the, because in their minds you know the idea that like and of course like the democrats are like the least like, i mean compared to anything in europe like they're the least social democracy you know yeah. minded party i mean they, they would just they would be easily be a center-right party at minimum um anywhere in europe certainly i think in ireland um, but you know, but the, the the idea from the Republican standpoint that like they were coming in and they were going to do anything, that they were going to give money to anybody who needed it, that they were going to you know that they were going to try to take any steps toward public health and you know per, you know trying to address the coronavirus pandemic other than just sort of letting it run roughshod through the population, and just kill everybody where they stood. To them. The only way that they could understand that was Marxism. And to them, the only way that they could understand, you know, crushing Marxism um, was, as as one of the, the, the congressmen said in a text message to, to Trump's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, martial law. He misspelled Marshall, by the way. He's, he, he spelled it M-A-S-M-A-R-S-H-A-L-L. But he, but he, but you know, that's you know, fascism. Like he was just, we need, we need the, we need the power of the military, the state to crush this, you know, this, this, this this just sort of vague hand-waving gestures toward toward social democracy um we see it uh, you know again and again and, and, and we're seeing it again now yeah. wow fascinating stuff really is i think you've done them justice you know of telling these stories and yeah. you know these cultures and societies because somebody has to eventually you know just open yeah. that that tin of worms just go with it you're not going to please everybody all the time Fascinating discussion, gentlemen. It'd be amiss of us not uh, just out of just absolute curiosity to, to, to mention the fact of your because you mentioned your journalistic background there. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of your reporting from from Haiti in, in 2010. Yeah. Right. So you're like one of the few or the only reporters on the ground when when this kicked off. Um, the, what the only, was that the, like? The, I was the only full-time U.S. correspondent. Is the that's the, the wording that I came up with 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 my a couple the couple of people who are on the ground who who could have made an, an alternate claim. That's what we all agreed on. That <laughs> well, that well, regardless, you would call it the, yeah. the the right person, the right place, the right time. You know, yeah. like as a journalist, that's <laughs> there's some of the key elements that you need in place. An element of look. Um, you know, well, depending on what we're talking about, most people would consider that one of the most frightening experiences of life. But I mean, yeah, just did not did not feel like the right place while my yeah, house that's was exactly what I just around. I just me, want, but, yeah, yeah. it's easy now. No, but, same, same for yeah. our cushy homes. About you know, yeah. oh, it was great, wonderful, brilliant. What good looked to be. In, so tell us, tell us why it didn't feel like to be the best place. 
Had yeah. So yeah, I mean, it was it was yeah. You know, I was in a house that was it was slightly better built than than some of the other buildings in in, in Port-au-Prince, but I just I was lucky. Just it was sheer luck. Um, I, I, you know, I had sort of a, a kind of a, a North American style, Northern European style kind of A-frame roof. Um, and the house next to me had a, a more Caribbean style flat concrete roof and that pancaked and killed the people inside. So that, oh that was really what, what accounted for, for my survival. Um, it was a, a, it was a catastrophe. I mean, the, the, um, the, the you know, the death toll, uh, will never be known. Um, it is estimated between somewhere the lower bounds around basically a hundred thousand, um, the upper bound that the Haitian government estimated was 316,000. It was about one in 10 people, um, in the metropolitan area of the capital, um, who, who died that day. Um, it was, um, you know, it was, it was a, it was a very strong, you know, I mean, 7.0 again, you know, there are much, yeah. much stronger earthquakes in the world. You know, the, the one, the one that, you know, track triggered the, the tsunami in, in, uh, mm-hmm. in Indonesia in, in 2004, for instance, um, and actually one in, in, in Chile, just a, a couple of weeks after the Haiti earthquake, those, those were much stronger, but because it was so close to the capital, um, it was, it was, you know, un, under the ground. So it wasn't even at sea, it was like under land. And, uh, uh, and because the capital was so poorly built because, uh, because of poverty, um, because of predation. Um, my wife, actually, Claire Payton, is a, she's a scholar of, of Haitian history, and she, she wrote a, um, a, a wonderful dissertation about uh, the Duvalier dictatorship, Papa Doc and, and Baby Doc, um, and really dug into the ways in which specifically the, the, the Duvaliers, um, who were horrendously corrupt uh, 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 dictatorship, um, one of the things that they did was they, they took over the cement factory um and basically you know turned it into just a, a, a an engine of of pure graft for themselves um which then you know th- that also helps lead to um the, the 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 poor quality of cement it was really it, it came down to really i mean it's material history it came down to to, mm-hmm. to concrete um the, the 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 concrete that was in buildings both big and small um mm-hmm. was just really really poor um and there were and there was no regulatory body because the haitian government was so weak after a, you know, a century, really two centuries of, of uh, predation, but, but uh, you know, specifically in the 20th century, almost all of it at, at the hands of, of the United mm. States and to a certain extent, our, our allies in, in, in Canada, France, et cetera. That's what made it so horrible. And, and, and it's what made it so there was no, there were no first responders really on the ground uh, that could help people. I mean, you know, everybody you know, uh, uh, who could was was digging their, their their you know neighbors out of the rubble of of their houses, um, and doing everything that they could for them. Um, but you know, the hospitals collapsed, <laughs> and the hospitals weren't even that good to start out with. Um, so it it um uh it it was just a, a compounding catastrophe. Mm. Um, and then what ended up happening over the course of of 2010 was that the, the you know the, the the international community, um, led by the United States. Uh, and the United Nations came in to to help, um, but really came in to sort of you know put on a good show and and to ultimately help themselves. Um, and and one of the um, you know one of the the, the most egregious pieces of of uh, international malfeasance that happened that year, uh, which happens to be something that that I uncovered, um, was in in late 2010, in October of 2010, um, the United Nations uh, United Nations peacekeepers, specifically a battalion from Nepal, although it could have been any of them, um, ended up. Um, 
they they had sort of poor sanitation at a base in rural Haiti, and they introduced cholera, um, which ended up creating a massive epidemic. There hadn't been a uh, a really a, a a solidly recorded cholera epidemic in a, any point in Haitian history, going back to the country's independence in 1804, um, but certainly throughout the the seventh pandemic, which is the current uh, pandemic of cholera. Um, there had been no, there had been no cholera in Haiti for for at least a century, and and they and the United Nations brought it. Um, this this organization that was like they were going to prevent, you know, a disease out, outbreak after the end of of uh, you know after in the aftermath of the earthquake, and 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 they ended up creating a disease outbreak that killed ten thousand Haitians, and uh, was thought to be under control, but it is now um, resurgent again uh, because you know essentially once you have cholera. Uh, in your soil, it takes a very, very long time for it to go away. Right. So, um, Some yeah. of this you touch on, obviously, in, in the big truck that went yeah. by, you know, it, which is a whole, I think, you know, Derek, this is a whole other episode. We've got to come back to Jonathan on this there, one. There, uh, there is. And before we go, go though, Neil, there's an Irish mm. uh, element oh, to all this as well. Uh, a very well-known Irish capitalist um, went in there yes. with Digicel, Dennis O'Brien. Right, you know, I, yeah. I know, you know, Dave. Dave was uh, offered a, a job to go work down there with all the family, um, right. with a nice, this is an accountant now, with it, with a nice uh, house and a security detail because you had to go everywhere. You had to have security, making a fortune out of it. You know, out of a, yeah. out of a disaster. Mm. Great. Yeah, yeah. Digicel, Digicel was a huge, huge player in, in Haitian politics. Um, in uh, for at least a couple of years in in, in the twenty tens. Um, all the street signs, uh, especially in Petionville, which is the, the area of town that that it's also a poor part of town, like everything in, in Port-au-Prince. Uh, but but a, a lot of the foreigners live there. It's traditionally the the richer part of town. Um, the street signs were all Digicel street signs because Denny O'Brien put them in. Um, yeah. I, I think instead of basically instead of paying taxes in Ireland, he he uh, uh, that's he, it. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> he, he was like, well, I'll 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 buy a bunch of street signs and 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 open some schools. Yeah, um, yeah. We, we've definitely got our lawyers to listen to that one. He's very litigious here in <laughs> yeah. Ireland. And he's our former boss in the media company that I work with. And yeah, he, he's known as a flamethrower, like uh, with the lits, with Ritz. So <laughs> I will say, though, that some of my I had, I had some good friends with, with concern, uh, the, the, the Irish NGO. Oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. And, yeah. In in, uh, in in my years in, in Haiti, um, and and they, I mean, they, you know, all of the NGOs. There's a lot of things that you can say about them, but I think Concern is one of the better ones. Well, it's good to hear that this, you know, somebody's flying the Irish flag. That's still kind of you know yeah. good guys. Reputable, well. yeah. Reputable. It's also one of my favorite names for a for 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 an NGO. It's like it's just like we're concerned. It's concerned. yeah. It's 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 right up there. It's <laughs> yes. yeah. It just says you know what it says on the tin. Uh, Jonathan, yeah, we're not listen. coming to save the children. We're not coming to. You know, it's just we're. We're just concerned. We have a little concern. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they do a great job. They do a great, great international reputation. This way, you got to come back on. Um, we got so much more really to talk about. We, 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 yeah. Really interesting. We find that the the time just flies on the podcast, you know. But we want to keep keep some of our guests come back, and you know, especially when we have so many other subjects and topics to talk about. So, will you do that for us sometime? Yeah, happily, happily. Well, in the meantime, Excellent. listen, man, thanks a million. Yeah, that, that's fascinating. Thank that, you. What, and cats and yeah the books are out there guys go get them like you know which big that went, went by, by very important of capitalism you Thank can't you. go wrong and you also um i also have a newsletter uh which you can find at the racket.news 
um, named for Smedley Butler's War as a Racket. Um, but I cover international politics and a lot, I've been doing a lot of writing, as you might imagine, about uh, fascism and, and, and the right in the United States. Um, so you'll be, you, you, your, your listeners may also find that yeah, interesting. Yeah, go educate yourselves, folks. Exactly. That's where it all is. John Nemcats, thanks again this evening for joining us on The Hipstorians. And uh, yeah, what a great That's episode. It. Yeah. Good night. Good luck. Thanks, Jonathan. Thank you, guys. There you go. Free education, folks, all around the world. Yeah. Like, it's what a head full of knowledge and mm. almost a little bit dizzying. But yeah, I mean, as I said, there's all these different rabbit holes. How this yeah. is all interlinked. You know, what does make you think who's behind Putin and Xi Jinping? You know, what, what capitalist entities yeah. are pulling those levers? Because it, it, it ain't all about political ideology. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. There's where the money, where the money walks. You know, just follow the. Yeah. What do they say? Follow the money. Follow the, follow That's the cash it. trail. You don't want to be thinking, thinking about it too much. It'll keep you up at night. No, no. Not Hopefully, we won't not keep all our listeners up all night after that. But it's important stuff. Like you know, it's history and it's social geo. You know, all the big words that are that are important out there. But yeah. hopefully, told <laughs> in an entertaining, fascinating way. On another episode of the Hip Stories. Thanks very much. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you, Derek. Thank you, me. Now for now. Good night. Guest. See you guys. I would like to take just a moment to thank all the Hipstorian followers for your support during the first five months of the show. Both myself and Neil are delighted that so many of you are enjoying what we do here. We plan to continue and expand our efforts into the future. As you can probably appreciate, it does cost to produce the show, and we have been funding this ourselves. There is a link within the episode where you can make a one-time one euro enjoyment donation and we'd very much welcome uh, any donations at all in fact we will be offering a paid subscription tier more on that later and anyhow if uh, you don't have it don't worry keep tuning in we'll be here